So I had all intentions to pay for nursing school with cash because I was working as a CNA and I was living with my parents and I just was really irresponsible with money and decided that I was just gonna make all this money and as a nurse and I would just pay it off so I took out loans all the money that I earned from like respite care I threw all towards my student loans I was making four to five payments a month if you go back on my highlights under my story I was documenting the whole thing so like every time I made a payment I would take a screenshot and post it on there and be like, okay, this is where I'm at now. And this is how much I paid this month. You can do a lot, but you can't do everything. Like you can pick a couple things that you really enjoy and then invest and save the rest. And that was something that I really felt like I stayed really true to while I was paying down my debt. So it didn't feel like that much of a difference once I didn't have to pay the payments anymore, but it was, I look back and I'm like, how did I do, like, how did I do that? It was just so crazy. And I, it's something I'm really proud of. How many nurses do you know who are always trying to keep up with the Joneses and living paycheck to paycheck, regardless of how much money they're actually making? Well, you'd be surprised to know that about 60% of the nurses I've surveyed said they are living paycheck to paycheck. We aren't taught financial literacy in nursing school, and it's obvious when you see where and how these nurses are spending their money immediately after landing their first job. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking with a nurse who paid off $48,000 of student loan debt in 18 months and learned how to game the system to earn more in her area than most other staff nurses. It wasn't an easy road and she's going to talk to us about how she did it in this episode. So with that, let us know who you are and why you decided to become a nurse. Ooh, okay. So I'm Allie. I'm 34. I turn 35 next month. I am originally from Southern California and I grew up, I was a competitive swimmer. I went to San Diego State University on a swimming scholarship, and I thought I wanted to go to PA school. My mom's a nurse, actually. She's been a nurse for years, and I grew up in a single-parent uh, household. And so being a nurse in Southern California, I had this like idea of nursing that was like, oh, like they make so much money, and you know, my mom does so well, and like she never tells us no. And in actuality, she worked a ton in order to afford us that lifestyle. And so, yeah, so I went to college for kinesiology, pre-physical therapy for my first bachelor's degree. And then when I was finishing school, I got diagnosed with hypothyroidism. My grandma passed away. Um, so I just had like a lot of things happen when I was graduating. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Schools for PA, like PA schools in that area for Southern California were about $50,000 a year. So I knew nothing about money and I was like, well, I don't really want to spend $50,000 a year to make $70,000 a year. And I just thought it wasn't really a smart idea. So I kind of ditched the P PA, PT school um, route and my mom said, go get your CNA. And then if you like it, then apply to nursing school. So I got my CNA. I actually did my clinical in a... It was like a long-term care facility for kids and I loved it. So it was like trach bent kids. And I'd worked for, with kids my whole life. So I was like a lifeguard, a swim instructor. So I'd only ever worked with kids. And I just, I loved it. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to go to nursing school. So I had all intentions to pay for nursing school with cash because I was working as a CNA and I was living with my parents and I just was really irresponsible with money and decided that I was just going to make all this money and, as a nurse and I would just pay it off. So I took out loans. So that's kind of how I got to be a nurse. I did a second bachelor's program and graduated in 2015. So that's kind of my, my story. So what specialty did your mom work in? 
So she did a whole bunch. I think she did ICU. She did pediatrics uh, when, when we were kids. And then um, when my parents got divorced, she switched to the emergency department. Um, so she did that for, I think, 15 to 20 years, like while we were growing up and then switched to urgent care. And then now she does infusion nursing like PRN and she also is a financial advisor. So that's what she does now. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty interesting to yeah. go from all the, all those years as a nurse to now doing financial advising. Wow. That's pretty cool. How'd she get into that? So she had a friend who was doing like that kind of stuff. And she was so, I saw her be so burnt out as a nurse, which kind of led to my own like financial, I guess, awakening or, you know, wanting to be good with money. And we kind of started around the same time. And she was just very burnt out from nursing. And she didn't agree with a lot of the things that were happening. She had done management for, for a couple of years. And I think she was just at a point where she wanted to have that freedom that nursing doesn't really give us. So she wanted something that was going to make more income and, you know, she really likes helping people and she's found that providing financial education and services to people who may not be able to get it otherwise um, is kind of her passion. So did you get, did you have to get student loans for your first degree? I did, but it wasn't very much. It was mostly for, I got a 75% scholarship, so I just had to pay for housing. So that was I think my first bachelor's, it was like 15,000 that I took out. And the second, it was 20 or 20 and 15. It, it ended up being 46,000 by the time that I had like accrued interest and started paying it down. And that was the total that I ended up paying down in the 18 months when I was being really aggressive about paying my student loans down. I see. So was your first job after you're getting that first degree, a CNA job? Yeah. So I was working as a CNA because I knew I was going to get into nursing school. So I actually only took six months off in between my first bachelor's and I just went straight into nursing school and just worked. I was doing full-time for the first year and then dropped down to like part-time. So, but I was making more as a CNA than I started out making as a nurse in 2015 in North Carolina. Yeah. I was, I think I left, um, Southern California as a CNA at like $22 an hour. And my first nursing job in North Carolina was like $21 an hour. Oh my gosh. Where in North Carolina were you working? Um, in the Raleigh, Durham area. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is pretty bad. (laughs) Yeah. And I grossly underestimated, this is like part of my story that I tell to everyone, like I grossly underestimated like what the cost of living was going to be. And probably in the last eight years, Raleigh is becoming, it's definitely not as as expensive as like the Bay Area or some parts of Southern California, but it, it's getting up there. It's one of the more expensive places to live. And so I think right before I bought my house, because I'm back in the Raleigh-Durham area, my rent went ha- had gone up to $2,000 a month, which is what? wild. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then you went to nursing school. How long was the program? It was two and a half years. So the first six months was like, you had to... Um, past that for six months. Otherwise you got kicked out. So it was ended up being two and a half years. And you said you had to drop your hours as a CNA in order to continue with nursing school. At what point did you have to drop your hours and why? When we started clinical, just Mm. because our clinical was a little bit different. I went to Western Governors, which they are a online based program, but they it's pass fail, which is really interesting. And then on top of that, you're one-on-one with a nurse instead of being like with your clinical instructor. 
Um, so I was always in a preceptorship, even from the first clinical that I did. So I would have to, I was living in like Ventura County at the time. And my program was all the way in Orange County, because that was the cohort that I got into. So with traffic going to lab and everything, it was a good like hour, hour and a half drive. And then luckily, my dad was living in Orange County at the time. And so I would stay with him with one of my clinicals, I think my last clinical, I think we had to do it was three shifts a week for I want to say four weeks. So it ended up being 12 shifts. And so I would just stay with my dad and it was, it was day shifts. So it wasn't too terrible, but it was three twelves. So it was, it got you prepared to work as a nurse right away. So. So after you graduated, you landed your first job in North Carolina. Yeah. So I had gone through a pretty terrible breakup and I was like, I want to get out of here. <laughs> so I had missed, I actually, my dream job was to work at Children's Hospital LA or Children's Hospital in Orange County. And I'd missed both of those like new grad residency windows. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to apply everywhere. And I had heard back from, I started out at Duke and I'd heard back from Duke and I was like, okay, well, this is a good opportunity as well. And so I kind of didn't look at the the pay and like what it didn't look at what it would actually cost, mm-hmm. which now looking back, I'm glad that I didn't because it taught me a lot of lessons. I don't think I ever would have fixed my finances if I wouldn't have, you know, struggled so much and had to work so much overtime. And I was burnt out by the second year as a nurse and I thought I was going to quit. And so I think it really just taught me that it doesn't matter how much money you make. It matters like what you do with your money. And I didn't want to work overtime for the rest of my life and, and do what a lot of nurses do. You know, one of the first podcast episodes that I had was of a nurse, his name is Oliver, that I interviewed. He went to Duke University for his degree, but he's from California. He's from like the Hayward area. I believe Mm -hmm. it was Hayward. And he ended up moving back to Hayward because the pay was so low. Plus he wanted to be closer to family, but his goal was to get his degree wherever he could. Mm -hmm. So that's why he ended up in North Carolina. And then he came back to California. Now he's working in like Northern California, um, two hospitals in Northern California, but, um, what did you like and what did you dislike about working there? Um, in North Carolina. Yeah. So I liked, I found a lot of good friends out here. I I have a very interesting story and I can share that now if it's helpful. So I got really into personal finance after the first year that I was a nurse And I had also met my ex-husband at the same time. And so we had ended up moving in together a year and a half afterwards. So I only was at my first nursing job for the first year and a half. And then I moved towards the beach near Wilmington, North Carolina for five years and was there with my ex-husband. And we had planned to stay there. And the issue down there is there's only one hospital. And so there's no competition. And the pay is the pay and you can't really negotiate. So I got really creative at the time finding ways to make more money. So I took like a weekend option job, which you get paid $10 more an hour to work weekends. And then I did nights. So then that was an extra differential. And then I would pick up extra shifts during the week. So I would work full time, but I made way more than anyone else because the shifts during the week that I would work extra were like a hundred to $200 extra and over the 12 hour shift. So I was able to make more money, even though it was a situation where people said, Oh my gosh, you could never make good money here. So I did that. And then I got connected with a family who I did respite care for. And so it was basically like babysitting and kind of helping the family. And I got paid 
it was almost a thousand dollars a month and it was anywhere from 20 to 40 hours in that month. And it was cash. And so I was able to just throw that at my student loan. So I got really creative. And I think I'm really thankful for that. Because I think if I would have lived in an area where there was a lot of competition that I would have just kept doing traditional ways of like, let's pick up another shift, let's pick up another shift. And it would have burnt me out more. And I wasn't even working. Some weeks, I would only work two days, some weeks, I would work three, some weeks, I would do the respite care and work the two. So just, I had a really good balance of different jobs and different areas. And when I would pick up during the week, it would be in different areas instead of the same area that I worked. So I got to know a lot of people in the hospital. It like kind of felt like float pool, but not really. Um, So that was really cool. And then you also got float pay at that hospital during COVID that went away. So I would always volunteer to float. I'm like, if I'm getting $5 extra an hour to float, like I'll just go. So I I was always really good at being creative, even though people I feel like here, like you're really stuck. And then in 2020, I ended up getting separated. And my whole friend group actually ended up being back in the Triangle area, like Raleigh Durham area. And so I really needed friends at that time. And so I went to the hospital that was making the most money. And it was actually also a weekend job. And I got basically part-time benefits for only working four shifts a month. And then I would pick up their shifts were extra shifts were, I want to say they were an extra $25 an hour during COVID. Um, and so I made, I made more money working like very part-time than I would have made full-time. And so I kind of rode that train until they got very, they kind of understood what I was doing. And so they were starting to do like mandatory overtime and I'm like, "Mm, I'm not going to do that. So then I went and traveled for six months and did a local travel assignment. So that's kind of, I kind of bounced around and I really feel like the flexibility and the way that I was able to like think outside the box really helped me make more money in a, in a state that doesn't really pay nurses very well. So so when you say that you were getting the weekend differential, were you getting the weekend differential for the, for every hour of the week that you were working? Or no, just on only, the week? only the weekend. So I would get the $10 extra an hour for Saturday and Sunday. I, sometimes, I, so when I was working nights, it was either Friday, Saturday night or Saturday, Sunday night. I could kind of pick. And so mm-hmm. Friday and Saturday night, I would get the weekend differential, which was an extra $10 plus I think nights was like or 25 or something or three something I can't remember and so it actually added up to a not super like super high pay but way more than what my coworkers were making and then during the week I would pick up at my base pay like a day shift and it would be an extra hundred to two hundred dollars in the shift so were you doing self-scheduling at the time were you per diem or were you actually staff no i was staff doing that weekend option job and then they just had so many needs in the hospital that i would just pick up wow yeah Yeah. i was very creative to be be honest interesting and do you remember how much you were bringing in like on a weekly or bi-weekly basis I have to do some math. Hold on. <laughs> yes. So I, th- I think at the time I was making like $27 an hour base pay. So $14.96 a week. Wow. So that's like almost $3,000 biweekly. Yeah. But that yeah, was before cool. like taxes and all that too. Yeah. So yeah. No, I mean, that's still pretty good because that's similar to what I was making in New York City. And that's New York City, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've heard New York is not, doesn't pay super well either. Yeah. No. Like you think the high cost of living states would pay well, but it's, yeah. it's not, it's just really California. And I think Oregon is also up there and Washington might yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your goal was uh, when you started picking up all these shifts, did you just plan to pay off your debt 
your student loan debt as quickly as possible? Yeah. So this was in 20, late 2017, because it took me 18 months to pay off that $46,000 of student loan debt. And so I started doing that and my goal was to pay down. And so all the money that I earned from like respite care, I threw all towards my student loans. I was making four to five payments a month. If you go back on my highlights under my story, I was documenting the whole thing. So like every time I made a payment, there'd be like some funny gif and then it would be like the screenshot of my, what was my student loan carrier? Uh, it's one of the ones that's not there anymore. But I, I would take a screenshot and post it on there and be like, okay, this is where I'm at now. And this is how much I paid this month. So that was kind of my goal at the time. But I also was saving for a wedding because we got married in 2019. So I was able to do both, which was pretty oh. good. Yeah, no, seriously. It, it, it kind of remind me of the story of, um, I watched this doctor online on YouTube. His name is Dr. Webb. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first started watching his videos, he owed like $500 and fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt oh my gosh. yeah and his goal was to pay it off in two years and i think i started watching him like two and a half years ago or so and just like two three weeks ago he made a video showing how he was making his last payment of like i think it was like one hundred and forty nine thousand oh dollars yeah yeah he literally like clicked the button and paid one hundred and forty nine thousand dollars in one shot because he's making so much more money now, but it's like, it was such an exhilarating moment for him. And I, I'm so happy for him because like, I remember he was struggling before he became a doctor and now he's living such a good life as a, he's an orthopedic surgeon, such a good life as an orthopedic surgeon. And he's getting so many, so many clients, especially because of the social media account that he has. So the fact that he was able to go from like so much debt to now making millions per year is insane. And the people that want to pay off their debt, like I give it up to them because I owed my wife and I, we owed maybe like $40,000 each mm -hmm. in student loan debt. And we, because of COVID, because we weren't able to pick up so many hours, we also paid off all of our debt except for our house during COVID. Oh, wow. So that I, I can't even imagine the feeling that you must have felt when you made that last payment because you knew that you sacrificed so much to get to that point. So like, how did it actually feel for you when you paid that la made that last payment? So it was definitely really exciting because I had like no debt at all after that. Mm -hmm. I had just, I had paid down a car. I had no credit card debt anymore because I had paid that $15,000 off before mm -hmm. I had even started my student loans. So it was like that last big debt. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now I can go part-time. I can do all this. It was very exciting. But also as much as I sacrificed, I was really adamant about not sacrificing, which is where my website comes from, Saving Without Sacrifice, because I wanted to show people that you could still live your lives mm -hmm. while paying down big chunks of debt. And you didn't have to you know, be miserable working overtime and put all your money towards your debt. You could still travel and have fun with friends and go out to eat and do the things that you enjoyed. You just can't do everything. And it's one of my favorite quotes by Ramit is, you know, you can afford anything, but you can't afford everything. And I think a lot of us want to have the new technology and, you know, the best clothes and go out to eat the nicest restaurants and have the fancy handbags and do all of these things. And you only have so much money. And if you aren't doing the other things like saving and investing and, and putting your money to work, then you're not going to be able to do the things later on that you, you might want to do. And so 
you can do a lot, but you can't do everything. Like you can pick a couple things that you really enjoy and then invest and save the rest. And that was something that I really felt like I stayed really true to while I was paying down my debt. So it didn't feel like that much of a difference once I didn't have to pay the payments anymore, but it was, I look back and I'm like, how did I do, like, how did I do that? It was just so crazy. And it's something I'm really proud of. So. Absolutely. And for those people who don't know who you're referencing, Remy, I believe his name is pronounced Remy Sethi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he wrote the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And it is one of my favorite books. It's actually one of the books that I read that showed me you can save money, but also enjoy the money that you earn at the yep. same time. Mm-hmm. Because if all you do is save and pay down debt and overwork yourself to do those things, you're going to burn out, Mm -hmm. you know, because you need to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor as well. And that's what happened with my my wife and I. Initially, what we were doing is not saving at all. Like we were just Mm -hmm. blowing our money away. And then the debt just started accumulating. And then when COVID hit and we started realizing they weren't handing out any overtime at the beginning, like at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. Uh, they were closing down all of the hospitals. And even some of our friends uh, down in like the Stanford area, they got their pay cut. So we were like, oh man, we're not going to get any overtime. We have all this debt. We're not going to be able to pay anything off. And and we can't even travel right now. Right. So we were like, as soon as they start offering overtime, we need to work. Mm -hmm. We worked butts off for like, I think it was like almost a year because we couldn't travel anyway. But as soon as we paid off all our debt, the goal was to just start investing our money. So we paid off all our debt and then we finally started investing our money. But then we realized, okay, we're just investing. We're not really enjoying the money that we make now. And we cut down our hours too, because we didn't need to work as much. So we started investing our money and then we realized, okay, now we can set some aside to go on vacations. And we actually took like like eight, nine vacations last year. That actually burned us out because we took too many <laughs> vacations. But when you think strategically about how you invest and you, and you spend your money, you can do both at the same time. It, it doesn't have to be just one or the other. Right? No, yeah. and that's one thing that I, I was really good at was mm-hmm. I was still investing a portion of my money when I was paying down my debt, was still saving. I saved that $10,000 for a wedding. And I just, I'm so proud that, that I was able to put that into practice. And, and now like I do, I do have debt again. So I'm, I'm no longer, unfortunately debt-free because I do have a mortgage now. I bought a house in April, which hopefully will eventually be a rental property is kind of my goal for it. And then I had bought a car around the time I was traveling. So I'm almost, that is almost paid off, which is nice, but I have different goals now, which is, which is also helpful, but being able to do it all was something that set me up for success when I did get divorced and because I had a savings, I had everything that I had set myself up with. I had had investing accounts. I had a Roth IRA. I had, you know, the 403B with my company that I could transition over to the new company. And I just really stayed true to that plan. And so when something catastrophic basically happened and I had to take on all the bills on my own, I was able to do it. So I was just going to ask, did you have any like real emergencies that came up where you had to take some of the money that you were saving or investing and pull it out so that you can put towards your emergency? So most recently I had shoulder surgery. I was very lucky because I did, I was able to get FMLA even though I hadn't been at the company for a year yet. And so 
I didn't have very much PTO because I had only been at that job that I just started. I think it had been like 10 months and I had to get surgery then. So luckily I kept money in my emergency fund and kept saving after the house, after I bought the house. And I had to use some of that to live off of while I was out of work and not getting paid um, for like three weeks. And so that was really comforting that I had that. And as much as I didn't want to use it, and as much as we say, like, we want to just save, 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 that's what an emergency fund is for. And so it really just taught me that lesson of like, this is what an emergency fund is for. And you've been pretty lucky that you haven't had to use it before. So yeah. So are you still in North Carolina? I am. I actually <laughs> used my... <laughs> my leveraging skills. And I found a job where I get a 15% premium. I work in the cath lab. So I'm making 15% more than uh, the same people with the same amount of experience because it's a procedural unit, which is very cool. Wow. So how much are you making on an hourly basis now? 48.20 because I also just did the clinical ladder too. So I got another 5% and then we should get another 3% in November. So I'll be making 4970, which is wow. insane for <laughs> North Carolina. So Absolutely. Feel very I very mean, lucky. <laughs> yeah, no, because before I left New York, I mean this was like 6 years ago or so, I was making like $49 an hour in New York City. Wow. It makes no sense. Mm -mm. No, cuz you can get like a 500 square foot apartment for like $3,000 or something. Yeah, geez. So wh why did you decide to buy a house? Was your ultimate goal to rent it out? Yeah. So something I had always said, even when I was married, was that I I want a few rental properties to provide affordable housing for, or as, as affordable as you can, because I saw what was happening during COVID to a lot of the travel nurses. And now that people like think that travel nurses make all this money, I also was working with a bunch of travel nurses and they're like, we can't find anywhere affordable to live. And so I really wanted to bring that to people who may come to the area to work like on a midterm basis. And so I'd eventually like to make, which is why I bought my house where I bought it. I bought it pretty close to like the downtown area. And I, it's an area that's like really going to be booming in the next couple of years. And so I just thought it was a good idea to, to buy for right now. And then it's on a big enough piece of property too, that I could do like an Airbnb or something later on down the road. But I would like to have a couple so that I do have the option to not, you know, not work as much and have my mm. partner not work as much as well. So that's like future goals. So yeah. and then my rent was getting so expensive, I needed something that was a little bit cheaper. And I had enough I'm saved up from me and my ex had a house together. And so I got a percentage of the equity of our house that we owned because he kept the house. And so I just continued to save and put myself in a really good situation. And so then in April, it stretched me a little thinner than I would hope, but I'm hoping that rates go down at some point, but it's 2% less than what they are now. So I am very grateful that I bought when I bought because there, there's no way I could have bought now. So how much money did you put down for your house? I put 5%. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how much was the value of the home when you purchased it? Um, I think it was, I think it appraised for 312 and I got it for 299. So I was already like, yeah. 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 And I'm guessing your interest rate is somewhere around 5%. It's 6.1. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what can you do? You know, if you really want to buy a house, you, 
honestly, you have no choice at this moment in time because the interest rates are so high. Right now, they're like close to 8%, if not already past 8%. Yeah. So, so for me, I looked in a lower price range because I knew, number one, I didn't have like a hefty, hefty down payment. And so I was mm-hmm. like, okay, what can I actually afford? They approved me, I think, for 350 And I'm like, there's no way I want to go for 350 That's a little yeah. too much. I knew what I was paying in rent. And I'm like, I don't want to pay more than that either. Um, so I think my mortgage is like 1900, which I would have paid a little over 2000 if I would have renewed my lease. So I'm like, okay, I'm winning here because I have a bigger space. I'm, I own it. Um, I also got a home warranty because it's an older house. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, if anything breaks, I have my emergency fund, but also I'll at least try out the home warranty for a year. It's $50 Mm -hmm. a month. Mm -hmm. So I think I really put myself in a good position in order to be able to buy at the time that I bought. And I really, it's in an area that hopefully will will turn around and, and be growing. And Raleigh is getting bigger and bigger like by the year. And so it's just gonna become less and less affordable to be able to buy a house here. So I figured I had to pull the trigger now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a really smart move on your part that you were looking at a house that was not more costly than, your, than the rent you were already paying mm-hmm. because Some people don't even consider that, you know, some people are just looking at the interest rate. They're just looking at how much the overall price of the house is, but they don't take into consideration how much the actual monthly payments are going to be. And the other terms of the, the like property tax and, you know, the homeowners homeowners insurance and all these other things that go into, take into account the cost of the actual cost of the monthly payments. Because Uh, they'll tell you, like, if you look on Zillow or whatever, they'll say like a $300,000 house is like $1,500, but it doesn't take into account all of those. So I actually had a TikTok that went viral because I said, what my $300,000 house actually cost. And I broke it down and I said, this is how much I'm paying per month in taxes. This is how much I'm paying per month in the actual, like, you know, amount of the the house that I'm paying. This is my interest rate. This is how much I'm paying for homeowners insurance. And so people, I mean, even realtors started to like copy that trend and I had never seen it before. And then all these realtors are like, how much of blah, blah, blah house actually costs. And I'm like, whatever. (laughs) I just wanted people to know because they were asking and then people were like, well, that's not like, there's no way that that can be true. And I like literally broke it down dollar by dollar, what my actual like penny max statement says. And so I'm like, "Mm." that's so funny that you have penny max. So do we. Yeah. So what's funny is penny max is actually where I'm originally from. I went to high school in Westlake. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think they're a great company. And so I use this app. It's called, well, it used to be called personal capital and I use it to track our finances. It's really cool because once you put in your Penny Mac account login into it, it tracks your home's mortgage price or the the balance of your mortgage Yeah, and put in your address and it tracks how much your home is valued on like Zillow. Mm -hmm. So it'll tell you what your net worth is. And it's, I think that's a pretty cool app. Because, I do like that app for net worth. I didn't know you could put in your Penny Mac stuff. So that I'll, oh, yeah. I'll definitely oh, do that. Perfect. Yeah. So, okay. So I think you're paying what? 1900, you said nine, about it's 1900. Like 1920, yeah. So you would easily be able to get a good return on your investment if you rent it out midterm, as a midterm rental. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it would pay itself off right away. Yeah. So <laughs> really? I'm like... If I ever wanted to move back home to California, I could definitely do it and just rent it out. And I have tons of friends that travel. And then just the community that I've built on Instagram too. I just, I know tons of travel nurses. I 
you know, connect with a lot of people at the hospital. And so I just think where I bought, you know, what I'm paying, I just think it'll eventually down the road be like, even if I don't, even if I don't do top dollar for it, it'll still be an affordable way for people to like come here if they want to do seasonal work. Yeah. And how many bedrooms is it? It's three, but the one that I'm in right now, which is like my office slash gym is like a half bedroom. It's not really like you couldn't, you could put like a crib in here. It could be like a nursery. You can just rent out each room for like $1,500. Oh my God. (laughs) You're like, no, that's too much. (laughs) Uh, I'm thinking California prices. (laughs) Yeah. There's actually a good... My boyfriend is friends with like a couple of realtors and they use rent a meter because they feel like that is pretty like spot on with what, mm-hmm. what you could get. And it doesn't like highball, like usually it'll be like the average, it won't overcharge people. So I think that's probably good for people if they're renting out properties. And how much did you see the average rents for? I haven't Under. actually looked recently. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, all right. So what is after you rent it out, what do you plan to do? Are you going to stay in the house? Or are you going to buy another house and move into another house? I or mean, if I get married, so my long-term goal is obviously like I want to get married again. And so if I, you know, get married and have another par- a partner and have kids, mm-hmm. I would like to buy somewhere. I, my ultimate goal is to have two to three properties that, you know, we manage together and, and we rent like either have them be midterm rentals or like one long-term rental and then have that be enough to pay for our mortgage of, you know, the house that we live in. So. Yeah. So, and and when you started your social media account, was the plan to document your journey of like how much money you owed in student loan debts and all of that. And then how you paid all that. Uh, Or what was, what, why did you start the social media account? So that was actually my personal account. And I just, Um. I just started sharing like influencers weren't really a thing then. Like there were a couple like fitness influencers were really big in like 2016, 2017. And there were, I don't know if you know a lot about the debt-free community, but the debt-free community was huge back then. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of them were nameless, faceless people. And so I wanted to put a name and a face to someone who was actually struggling with those things. And so I also, and I also wanted to do it differently than, you know, Dave, the Dave Ramsey method. Um, And so I just started sharing. And then that's when I met Kat from Nurses Inspiring Nurses and went through her mentorship program. And we were talking and she was like, I really think you have something here. Like, So many people have asked you for help because as I was sharing, you know, people were asking like, what are you doing? Like, you know, how are you able to do this? Like, it's so cool. I really struggle with my debt. And so it really just gave a platform for people to like start sharing. And that's kind of where the community started. And I never intended to make any money. I just wanted to share and I wanted to connect with people and have money not be so taboo. And now I feel like we're, we're getting there with everyone talking about pay transparency. And I still feel like debt is definitely a taboo topic and people aren't really super, they'll talk about how much they make all day, but we don't talk about, we don't talk about how much debt people have and, you know, all of the luxury designer items that people buy and are they buying them up? Like you never know what people's financial situations are. And so I think it brought light to 
I am a normal person that has that struggles with these things and I'm not special. I don't, I didn't do anything differently. And the way that I learned how to cope as a kid was to spend money. And that's kind of where I got into the mindset around money as well too. Like why we spend, you know, why people impulse spend and just that kind of So that's kind of where my Instagram went for a while was blending the two personal finance and also like the mindset and the habits behind why we spend because you can have the perfect budget. But if you don't know why you spend, and you don't know what habits you have around money, then it doesn't really matter how much you make or what budget you have, you're never going to stick to it. If you haven't addressed why you spend money? Do you spend it because you're stressed? Do you spend it because you're overwhelmed, depressed? If you've had a hard shift, do you like it's glamorized to go to Target and spend hours there? And I feel like it's something that's not still not talked about is the coping that nurses have that's pretty negative around spending. Yeah. You know, this is something I do mention all the time in my videos is that I wish in nursing school we had a financial literacy class. Mm-hmm. Because I know so many nurses that are in like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and they continue to live their life as if they don't have any debt. Mm -hmm. And that just blows my mind. I've mentioned previously too that like I work with a nurse who made about $550,000 last year, and she doesn't even know where her money went. Like, what is that? Yeah. I've worked with over over 100 nurses at least with between 101s and my courses and stuff. And sitting down to do one-on-ones, they're like, I have, I have no idea. I was working with a bunch of travel nurses during COVID and they're like, I I have no idea where my money went. I have to keep taking contracts because I don't have enough money. I am scared to how I'm going to pay to get to the next contract. And it's when you're making that much money, I feel mm-hmm. like you have to have a plan and it's, it's never, it's, I'm not going to say it's not, it's, this isn't, I don't want to say this wrong. The majority of the time for nurses, I can't speak for other professions that don't pay their employees a livable wage, but for most nurses, it's never a, I don't make enough money. It's I'm spending too much money or I don't know where my money is going and I'm not prioritizing spending. And so that's why I've always spoken to nurses because I, I've never been in a different situation where I wasn't making a livable wage. I, I would say $21 an hour in North Carolina in 2015 was barely a livable wage, unfortunately. But now with what they're raising rates to and so many people being travel nurses, it's it's really not, it shouldn't be a money problem. It's, it's where is my money going? So. And I, I think what you did also goes to show that if you are not making enough money, there are things that you can do to increase your income. But it's not just about increasing your income, because regardless of how much money you make, if you don't know how to control your spending, you're always going to be broke. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's about how much money you keep at the end of the day, not how much money you're making. Yep. So when did you start your program? February or March of 2019, I started doing like one-off, one-on-one budget and <laughs> debt debt payoff plan calls. So I would charge like, I think it was like 30 to $50 for like what? an hour long call. 
no one was doing this at the time. So yeah. I was charging people. I probably had 50 nurses that I worked with and I, I was like writing their budgets, doing their debt payoff plans. Like people were getting like, like success. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I really like doing this. So then I created a course in at the end. Mm, August was the first when I first launched the course and did I did group programs for up until 2021. I had group programs. So from 2019 to 2021, I had group coaching and then would do some one-on-one coaching. And then when I started traveling, that's when I stopped doing as much group coaching. But in 2021, I probably made more from my coaching business than I did as a nurse. So wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I and you know, the fact that because I've mentioned this so many times, like my mo- uh, my wife, Monica, and I, we just recently, because we're trying to start an e-commerce brand. Mm-hmm. You know, like you mentioned, so many nurses are burned out. We all get burned. You you got burned out after like, what, a year, two years into nursing? Yeah, I was working and, four shifts a week. And so I, yeah. I just was done. Yeah. So I've been the type of person that I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset even when I was 16 years old, I would go to my high school with like a box of candies that I would buy from like Costco and I'd resell them and I'd make like $300 a day. And then I was filing my taxes when I was like 16, 17, I was selling on eBay. So like, I've always had that mindset that I want to work for myself and I want to work for somebody else. And the reason I became a nurse was because of the flexibility. I knew that I would have the flexibility to start my own business. So we are now working on a brand and we paid a mentor. We just enrolled in this mentorship program and it's going to cost us about $7,000 or so. And I did mention that we were paying for a mentor on our community tab on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I asked everyone, it was like a poll. I asked if you, would you pay for a mentorship with someone who promises, promises that you will double your money back or they will give you a refund? And someone who's been in the industry that you want to get into, who has a proven track record, and who has made tens of millions of dollars doing what you want to do now. And the majority, overwhelmingly, like 90% of them said, totally, they would do it. But then there's a very select few, who one of them specifically, who said, you know, you and your wife are making such good money as nurses. Why would you pay somebody else to like teach you how to do, uh, run an e-commerce store? First of all, drop shipping, because they... I don't know if you know what drop shipping is. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we want to start off as a drop shipping brand so we can validate the product. And and it's not just one product. It's like it's an actual like list of products. It's maybe like 100 products, right? Mm-hmm. We need to validate which ones work and which ones don't. And this mentor will guide us through it. But the person was like, why would you pay somebody to teach you how to drop ship and get all your products from China and, and bring them overseas? I think this is a whole, uh, an entire scam. And you guys are nurses. You can just continue at your savings rate or increase it and retire in no time. But what they don't realize is like you have employees you have, and you have um, employers. I want to be an employer. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to run my own business. I don't want to work for someone else. And there are people like that in this country. You can't just, be, you can't just expect everyone to want to be an employee. Well, and I think too... As a nurse, you're never going to have true freedom. You will Mm -hmm. always have someone telling you what to do, what hours to work. Even if you're a PRN, you you still have to go to a job and do something. And you always have a limited income. 
So I think what a lot of people don't get is that if you have some sort of business, you have the tax write-offs in addition to unlimited income that you're able to make on top of it. Nursing is a great foundation and stable income. But if you want to make tons of money or if you want to have that impact, you have to do something else. You can't just be a nurse. Mm-hmm. Agree. I totally agree. And and we don't even question it when we pay for our uh, college education or university. Mm-hmm. We don't question how much it's going to cost. The majority of Americans do not. They just take out loans if they need to, and then they go to school, right? They go to school for four years. But when you have an actual expert in the industry that you want to get into, walk you through every single step of the process, even if it's $5,000 or $10,000 for that program, they're not willing to pay for it because they think it's too expensive. And there's some <laughs> nurses that have paid $100,000 for yes. their nursing program. Yeah. West Coast University is $100,000. And <laughs> nobody questions it. And you're never going to make that much money as a nurse, but mm-hmm. people will question the five dollars to $10,000 investments or the $1,000 investments that could save you tons or make you tons of money. And so it's just, it's, it's very interesting how we think as a society. Yeah. So how does your coaching program work now? So right now I'm doing a lot of hands-off things just because I work full time and I don't really know where I'm going right now. This is, you, you kind of caught me in a, I don't really know what my purpose is right now and where I want to go from here. And so something that I was thinking about, I don't know, what you believe in or anything, but Mm -hmm. I am definitely, I'm very spiritual and I do believe in like the universe and things happen for a reason. And I will always talk about money. I will always talk about freedom, but I feel like I have a bigger calling and I just don't know what that is yet. And so one of the things that keeps coming back is community. And it's something that I've been really good at creating, especially making people feel seen talking about taboo topics, you know, really bringing people in and and discussing certain things. And so I don't know where that community will be. Um, But for right now, for financial coaching, I do do one-off calls. So if people do want to do those budget and debt payoff plan calls, I do those. I have a self-paced course that I've actually decreased the price. They're like super cheap for, for financial stuff. So similar coaching, like self-paced courses are triple, quadruple, if not more than what mine are right now. But I really want to make them accessible and affordable to people because I want to get this information out to as many nurses as I can. But I have a self-paced, just general money course that goes over basically everything that you could think of. It's called Three Phases to Financial Freedom. And then I also have a course on money mindset, which is really good. There's a bunch of journal prompts and it just kind of teaches you why you spend your relationship with money your mindset around money, all of that, so that you can actually take that that information that you get and put it into action and and be consistent with it. And then I also have a bunch of like super cheap, like downloadable PDFs, like budget trackers and workbooks and stuff like that. So like a lot of things that are very hands-off for me right now, just to get the information to people and so that people can have a, an easy way to get it. Cool. So what website do you, can they find you at or what is your social media handle? So my social media, I hang out on Instagram and TikTok for the most part. It's at the underscore debt-free nurse. 
And my website is www.savingwithoutsacrifice.com. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to see more like it, make sure you click on this playlist here and subscribe to us for more.